This is WAMU 88.5. I'm Esther Chamakili. The big story this week happened inside the Senate chamber at the U.S. Capitol building, where lawmakers voted to block a D.C. bill to overhaul the city's century-old criminal code. It's the first time in more than 30 years that Congress has intervened in the district's lawmaking process. Kojo Namdi watched closely as the story developed through the week, and he joins us now to talk about this story and others. Hi, Kojo. Good morning, Esther. So in a surprisingly bipartisan move, U.S. senators voted this week to approve a measure that would block D.C.'s new criminal code. Kojo, tell us what senators had to say and, and, and what the D.C. bill entails and, and what will happen next. What most senators had to say about the bill had little or nothing to do with the bill and everything to do with three words, soft on crime. Democrats are afraid that those three words can be the ticket to Republicans strengthening their hold on the House and regaining control of the Senate and the presidency. It's that simple. And if they have to run roughshod over the 700,000 residents of the District of Columbia to prevent the Republicans from taking charge, well, too bad. First, the facts. The Senate vote on the measure to overturn the D.C. crime bill was 81 to 14. Only two Democratic senators spoke in favor of the bill, Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey and Senator Chris Van Hollen of Maryland, a bill 16 years in the making with hundreds of provisions and a gazillion pages, a bill that actually increases penalties for some crimes, reduced to those three catchwords, soft on crime. See, the bill does reduce maximum penalties for a few crimes, including violent carjacking, but can we talk here? We've been indoctrinated, and indoctrinated is not a strong word because we've been indoctrinated for generations to believe that harsher penalties reduce crimes, no matter how many studies indicate that it doesn't work. What does work is at a time when people are fearful about crime, which is just about any time, think about it. When last have you heard the phrase, wow, I'm so happy we've got so much less crime than we used to? That would be Never. So when I say at a time when people are fearful about crime, that means any time, as violent crime in D.C. is actually down by about 9% this year, but people are more fearful about crime than ever. And that may even include yours truly. So just about any time politicians are accused of being soft on crime, they get nervous. President Biden and most Democrats in Congress are nervous, so nervous that for the first time in 30 years, they have basically chosen to oppose democracy in the District of Columbia, and it's not over. Yesterday, two House Republicans indicated they're going after a police accountability law passed by the Council last year. We'll hear what Mendo has to say about that today at noon on the Politics Hour. Oh, yes, Mendo is shorthand for the chairman of the D.C. Council, Phil Mendelson. He's younger than Sherwood and me, so we get to call him Mendo. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder how uh, Council Chairman Phil Mendelson feels about that nickname. Probably not good. (laughs) (laughs) All right, shifting now to Virginia, where another lawmaker has announced their upcoming departure from the legislature. Spoiler alert, it's Delegate Eileen Filler-Corn of Fairfax County. Kojo, give us an idea of what this latest announcement will mean for the upcoming Virginia election cycle. I have no idea what this will mean for the upcoming Virginia election cycle. (laughs) That's why we've got the Washington Post Gregory Schneider on the Politics Hour today. That's his beat. Good call. 
But Tom Sherwood says generational change is occurring in the Virginia legislature because what we do know is that seven veteran members from Northern Virginia, two of them in the Senate, are leaving the General Assembly and that redistricting has complicated matters for those who are running for re-election this year. It also means a lot of institutional knowledge is leaving the General Assembly, people with a greater knowledge of how the legislative process works. So this past General Assembly session, which did not accomplish a great deal and which ended up being able to only pass a so-called skinny budget may be a harbinger of things to come. As for Eileen Philicorn, she was the first woman and the first Jewish person to serve as Speaker of the General Assembly. But she's not exactly retiring. What she's doing seems to be repositioning herself for a run for governor in 2025. So stay tuned. All right, we will stay tuned. Finally, this week, several high-profile elected officials from Maryland gathered in Prince George's County this week, announcing their pitch to bring the proposed new FBI headquarters to that county. Tell us, Kojo, about some of the selling features that officials touted. Maryland made its pitch to the General Services Administration on Wednesday. The major feature at this point seems to be equity. Not that it's by any means the only feature. Maryland Governor Wes Moore cited cost benefits, cybersecurity, and real estate benefits also. But right now, it seems that Maryland may be emphasizing the equity feature in order to tip the scale in its favor. Maryland has two prospective sites in Greenbelt and Landover. Virginia has one, but it's near to the FBI training facility in Quantico. And this past fall, that factor geography was given a greater score in the criteria being used by the General Services Administration than any of the other criteria. So, in a way, Maryland is crying foul, arguing that all the criteria should have been given equal weight. But counters by emphasizing that Prince George's County, where Greenbelt and Landover are located, is about 64% black and 20% Hispanic, and that this is an opportunity for the FBI to repair its past harm to the black community. That serving as a reminder that the FBI spied extensively on the civil rights movement and at one point attempted to blackmail Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. This is expected to serve as a reminder of the Biden administration's commitment to diversity and equity. Virginia by pointing that its location in Springfield is a majority-minority community, with whites around 47% and Asians, Hispanics, and blacks making up the rest. Prince George's County Executive Angela also Brooks counted by saying, quoting here, because Springfield has more people with red, blue, and green hair than any place else is insulting to the concept of equity. Obviously meaning that Springfield is not exactly known as a historically disadvantaged or marginalized community. Virginia made its case to the General Services Administration yesterday, but we don't know yet when a decision will be made. All right. We will have to leave it there and see where that fight for the new FBI headquarters leads. As a Prince George's County resident, I can say the water's fine. Come on in if you're interested. That is WAMU's Kojo Namdi. Kojo joins us most Fridays to talk about some of the week's top stories. Thanks, Kojo. You're very welcome, Esther.